Welcome to the Game On Water Polo Podcast. The Game On Water Polo Pod will take a look at water polo growth, culture, and best practices from the perspective of water polo athletes, clubs, parents, referees, and coaches from around the United States. My name is Sean Stringham, and I look forward to create a conversation honoring the history of water polo, but more importantly, talking about what's happening now, and of course, in the future of our sport. My co-host and friend, Janai Kerr, 2004 Athens Olympian is coming to us live from Princeville, Kauai. Please subscribe, rate, give a five-star review, and share the podcast. Find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, all by searching at GameOnLS. Check out our website, www.goals.co. That's www.gols.co. All right, we'd like to welcome Matthew Mondelius to or Mundy to the show with us here today on Game On, the Water Polo Pod. Uh, Matthew is currently, and correct me if I'm wrong here, the club director for the 680 Drivers. They are based out of Northern California, uh, where they have had success at just about every level, age group, high school, uh, older kids, uh, men's, women's. At the recent Junior Olympics here, this is being recorded in 2021, and the and. Uh, JOs, they had a podium in six of the nine championship groups. So welcome, Matthew. Thanks for joining us here today. Yeah, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. My pleasure. My pleasure. Uh, a few couple of bullets here about Matthew. Uh, he's the 680 driver's co-founder, uh, currently the technical director as well, has coached high school as well as club. There's a, a list of things and I'll let you kind of fill that in. But what I was most proud of as I was looking through your bio is that you were the 1978 Montfair Field Day winner in the Flea Rugged Race. So I yeah, thought that, that was, was pretty legit. It was, uh, it, it, we, were definitely, <laughs> we were definitely the underdog. So James, yeah. James Wright and I pulled it off. I'm sure when, when people Google James Wright, they find that. So. John does his research. There you go. I just, I, don't, don't run for office, man. Don't, I mean, you know, if you put it on your webpage, it's fair game. That's all I can Yeah, say. that's so. why I had a good time with my bio, because if, if people are going, you know, reading my bio to join 680, then I, I like to give them a little humor there. Yeah. The other thing that I think that we have in common is that we're both Eagle Scouts. So that's, that goes a long ways. I appreciate that you had that there on your bio. That's one thing that my mom and dad always said is that they'll always comment. I thought you're an Eagle Scout. Like, yeah, and it's true. It's true. So congratulations on that. Thank you. So, uh, on that intro, is there anything else that you'd like to highlight in terms of your, um, your background in water polo or kind of your roles and the club and high school roles in the sport? Yeah. I'll just say like my, my path to water polo was probably a unique one. Um, I'm the youngest of four boys. We moved out from Michigan when I was four to California. So I, I had the luxury of, uh, getting into swimming very early where my other brothers, they were football based and baseball based. So moving to California at age four, I got a chance to start swimming. Um, and I played all sorts of different sports, baseball, soccer, and uh, I was swimming all year round, but I was always jumping at the chance to play football like my older brothers. And so uh, sixth grade, I went out for Pop Warner football and um, that was such an intense sport. And um, we had a really competitive team here in our area that uh, I had to stop swimming all year round. So, but that was okay by me. I wanted to play football. I, I wanted to see if I could take a hit and, and uh, tackle and hit guys and see what that was all about. So I played football 
sixth grade, seventh grade and eighth grade. And then I played my freshman year in high school. And then at that point, people were talking to me about water polo. The club scene wasn't really that big when I was playing. And so uh, they talked to me. I was a lineman. I came into high school. I was like five, four, 150 pounds. Uh, I was the second slowest on the team. And, <laughs> you know, I could, I, I had good technique from my pop Warner day. So I ended up starting my freshman year and, and had really a good time at football, great buddies. And then uh, guys were talking to me about water polo and my background. And I was a baseball player and, you know, I was still swimming in the summer and they were like, Hey, you know, if you come out for water polo, you just go in front of the goal, a couple meters out and we'll just give you the ball and turn around and shoot it. Shoot it. Yeah. And I was a center. So I was used to snapping the ball between my legs. I never scored a touchdown. <laughs> I wouldn't catch a ball. I wasn't running back. So I was like, I get to actually score. score. Yeah. Right. So, and uh, it was during the spring of my freshman year when we were doing some double days and, and it was about a hundred, hundred degrees out there. And, and I had snapped, we had a broad jump or hurdle as one of our plyometrics. And so I had a two inch vertical leap. <laughs> and I looked, I looked at the women's hurdle and I'm like, I'm not going to make it over this thing. And sure enough, I jump over it and my butt doesn't clear it and I snap it. And then all the guys started bunny hopping over it. The coaches are screaming at me. They're making me run. I'm like, <laughs> run. I'm like, maybe this water polo thing would be a good, good, good choice here. So I switched over my sophomore year. So I came to it really wow. late. Wow. So, uh, you know, and I, and I was an Eagle scout, I was doing all that stuff. And, and, uh, what I loved about water polo is that it still had the physicality of, of football. And, uh, but it was, you know, the swimming and, and, uh, you know, it was, it was nice being in the water. I had a tan instead of having, you know, right. acne all over my face and all right. that stuff. And so I really enjoyed it. It was a great transition for me and it combined a lot of sports that I loved. So well, that's, I mean, that's it's really awesome. interesting. I think a lot of athletes that are now what we'll call of the older generation. That's just, I've heard that story before, right? You're swimming in the summertime, just kind of making sure your water's safe, maybe playing baseball. You just as essentially explained my story as well, right? Where you come into it, your freshman year, sophomore year is like, this is the best sport of all time, right? And it's been interesting to see how maybe that has changed where we're seeing kids now in young as splash ball, you know, five, six, seven years old. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how that affects the sport long-term because they're not getting that, as much, there's much more specialized, right. Mm -hmm. As opposed to that, uh, upfront, you know, getting multiple sports. Do you, within your team now, do you, do you preach kids to tr go out and try a couple different sports before they commit? Well, that's really hard. I mean, we're, we're, we're part of the problem because we run four seasons and we right. like to be yeah. competitive. And so we, we like to think our program is there for those that want to compete all four seasons and, and want to raise their level. And then we have those that are trying it out on a season by season basis. Yeah. So it depends on the age, right? I mean, I, I think at the younger ages, they should be playing multiple sports. We try to balance it. And, um, you know, as they get, I would say into junior high, they start gravitating more towards the sports that they like. Yeah. And unfortunately at times, they, they, they might gravitate towards a sport that they excel at, not necessarily right. that they like. So that's always a trap too, where, cause as you, as you advance through and you get into high school and especially at the collegiate level, if you don't love it, then, you know, it, it's very, very difficult. It's like, yeah. you know, in baseball, when you make an error, you know, that next ball's coming at you. Right. I mean, it just <laughs> has a way of coming at you. So, you know, it, it's, 
it's part of just kind of the, the, the way things are now with people specializing. Yeah. We try to balance it out. Uh, but it's it's not very frequent anymore. You don't see right. a lot of multi-sport yeah. varsity lettermen in high school. It's either, you know, polo swimming or right. you might get the occasional basketball player or uh, baseball player. But it's pretty rare these days. But I, I, I mean, I love it in our club because you're we're still trying to grow and create the awareness of the kids that are walking on on deck that are 11, 12 years old and say, do you have to play in other sports? And it's like, oh, yeah, I play baseball. It's like. Fantastic. <laughs> Welcome right. to the team, right? Yeah. Welcome to the team. So I really like the fact that you guys offer the splash ball and focus on the younger kids because you could attract some of the true athletes and yeah. get them exposed to it early on yeah. rather than just the kid, not just the kids that couldn't make other teams. Right. So I think introducing it um, to them is great, but then at the same time, allowing them to, you know, be kids and, right. and be seasonal and not hold it against them, you know, having right. the, the and you have multiple teams, right? You have a team and a B team. So level yeah. commitment during off season, you know, we'll show on which team you end up on, but still giving everybody a chance to play. Yeah. And the, um, you know, the hard part is, is that these kids start baseball when it's five, five years old, T-ball or whatever right. it is. They start swimming at five. They start, they start soccer at five. Um, you know, these other sports where they'll come to water polo at nine or 10 and they get in there and it's really tough. Yeah. It's a really tough sport to learn, you know, and we, we, when we talk to people, they're always like, well, you know, Janai is a really strong backyard swimmer and it's like, okay, yeah, that's great. But like, you need to be able to do a 25 without grabbing the wall. You need to be able to do this. You need to be able to tread water for a minute. You know, if your egg beater isn't, isn't proficient, that's okay, but you need to stay afloat for a minute. And so that's the hard part is that kids come in with successes in these other sports and they're, you know, a legit swimmer or they're the baseball stud shortstop yeah, or, yeah. you know, they're, they're the they're great basketball player. And then they come into water polo and they struggle and it's always and people are competitive and you start going to games and they see their kids struggle. And it's like, it's okay. It just takes some time. Yeah. But that's, that's really critical as a program. When you get kids introduced is that you have a good development program. You, you, you teach them the right skills right from the get go and you don't expose them to the competition until too early. Yeah. You, know, you don't want to be too early on that. Yeah. So I love it without being self-conscious. Yes. Because at that age, you know, they, like you're saying, kids are aware of, of what they're doing and think that everyone's kind of watching them. And, you know, there's adults that can't transition to a difficult sport like water polo, regardless of how athletic they are in land-based sports. Right. It takes a while. Very good. Hey, well, I want to talk a little bit about 680 drivers, the club itself. So you've, you've been involved uh, in club water polos for a long time. Yep. Just give us an outline of how 680 came because you've had success as a club and just, I want to try to not necessarily pick it apart is the wrong word, but what <laughs> are the strategic pieces that you have put in over the last several years to have it be as successful as it has been? Yeah. So before we started 680, I was running a high school program, San Ramon Valley. And so for me, I was getting the kids freshman year and I wanted to back it up. So when they came to me, they had fundamentals. Right. And so I started my own club team that was primarily focused on Danville kids that would eventually go into San Ramon Valley. And so it was a good feeder system and um, allowed me to get some base fundamentals to them at an earlier age. So by the time they hit high school, that we were enhancing and building on the foundation rather than starting from scratch. Right. And so I did that 
uh, up until 2006. And that was my last year at the high school. I had been renting pools. My old pool at my high school was a shallow deep pool. Mm-hmm. So I would rent every pool I could get my hands on in the area that was all deep. And so, right. you know, I would talk to my AD and I would raise funds to rent these pools. And my AD would would be like, why? We have a pool. And he was the basketball coach. And I'm like, <laughs> John, this is like playing basketball on a five foot hoop. Right. And he's like, well, you can't do that. And I said, yeah, that's why I'm running the pools. Like, I got to get my kids, you know, the proper proper training and we need to play in an all deep pool. So during that time, uh, I was renting Las Lomas high school and skip man, Steve man was the head coach there. So we got to talk and then we would play each other every year. We just started talking over the years. And, um, so I think in 2006, I had approached skip and said, Hey, you know, I've got a really good group of kids. You've got a really good group of kids, but we were thin on the depth. And, and that's really where uh, I wanted to go with 680 is that my one through six guys were always really competitive. But when you would go to these national tournaments, we would get beat by these clubs that had seven through 12. Right. And not only that, but their B team was legit. Right. And so at that point, I was I was done coaching high school and I wanted to get a bigger footprint uh, on the national level and start exposing our area to that higher level water polo. And so uh, Skip was running East Bay and I was running Danville Boulevard. So that's when we decided to merge and um, really try to open up the area and try to, you know, provide a program that was entry level to those that were trying it and then also really be able to push those kids to the next level. And for club, for us, that's, you know, trying to get them to that collegiate level if that's what they choose. And so you know, we came together and, um, you know, over the years we've, we've, we've had a fair amount of numbers. And, and so the hardest part for any club is finding quality coaching. And so, um, that's always a struggle. We're always trying to find coaches. And I would say the real struggle is most of the kids coming out of college, you know, when they, when they're done college, they, they want to come in and they want to coach 18 A's or they want to coach 16 A's. And so really the, the tough coach to find is that development coach, that coach that is willing to work with, let's say, you know, in a 12 and under program, they're willing to work with the 11s that are moving up from 10s to 12s. And, you know, usually you'll have one or two kids that can make a jump from the younger age group to the next age group and be on the A team. It's not frequent, but it happens. But really, you have to have that coach that can develop uh, that younger age group. So the next year, you don't have those peaks and valleys. You're consistent and that you're building from one year to the next. And that's really something that we've been striving over the last couple of years is that we want to be consistent. We want to have a set foundation. So when the kids move from 10s to 12s and 12s to 14s, those coaches at those higher levels or higher age levels can look back and go, okay, I know that they have this set foundation of skills. Right. So now I can move on. And so, you know, that's where we've been evolving as a club is trying to a bring in, you know, a lot of coaches and really train them as much as we can. You know, we have to provide our kids development opportunities, but, you know, almost more importantly, we have to provide those to our coaches so then they can develop the players. Right. And that's really what we've been striving for. Matthew, do you as a club director, do you meet with your individual coaches 
Um, and if so, how frequently? Yeah, that's something that we need to do a better job. It's finding the time. We, we've done Zoom calls and we have met in person. Um, we brought in Kirk Everest as our chief technical director because we just felt like, you know, if you're, if you're a young coach and you want to get better, um, you know, to learn from a collegiate coach is super important. And so, yeah, for us, it, the next step, Janai, is going to be more reviews and, and performance and going over it by season by season. We have done it and it's just being more consistent with it. Now with the Zoom, it makes it easier. It's really hard. We, we're most of our coaches. Um, yeah, I think pretty much 100 percent of them are have other jobs. They're not full-time coaches. So working around people's schedules and, and trying to find that time is very difficult. So we do talk on a lot, you know, frequent basis. It's not necessarily like, okay, Janai, I want you to work on these five things. We just talk about water polo. So, um, yeah, I think the next, the next evolution for 680 is, is to be able to have those evaluations on a more consistent basis. Within the 680 structure of uh, teams, so if an athlete advances from the 10s into the 12s or the 12s into the 14s, you had mentioned like 11 is hard, right? When you're transitioning and 13 is also hard when you're mm -hmm. transitioning. So are those athletes, you have a couple of those athletes that maybe make the A team, but you generally have an A and a B team in those two, in those divisions so that the 13-year-olds have a place to play and the 14s are all the... The, the, those that are 14 in that year are up the, on the A team. Is that generally how you work that out? Yep. That's usually have one or two kids that might make the, make the jump. And, right. and again, that's the transition is very hard. And also uh, not only for the player, the player comes off and says, you know, I was a 10 and under a player and now I'm 11 year old B player or 11 year old right. C player. And the parents are like, well, Hey, my, my kid is an A player. And it's like, yeah, your kid's an A player. Sure. Like at tens, they were an A player, but now they're aging up. And right. so yeah. there there's that transition. I think the, the best thing that people can do, whether it's water polo or business or, you know, personally is, you know, set clear expectations and talk to the parents and let them know what the process is and, and the development philosophy. I think right. that's critical. Uh, we're not, uh, you know, you, you talked about the six out of nine at JOs, I, you know, I, I knew that. Right. But it's not something that I would ever lead with. Right. Um, and I, and I had thought about that. I was like, yeah, I think it was six. That's great. But we're not a results-based program. And, and, you know, people are like, well, you know, you're just development. They don't want to win. It's not that like, we just feel that if we're doing the proper right. steps to develop the kids, then our results are going to speak for themselves. So sure. it's also, you know, the, the Zoom meetings with the parents, we used to have in-person parent meetings, you know, to set the, the proper expectations at the beginning of the season and what we're trying to do and explain the plan to them and be open with them. Like, hey, this is this is the way the process works. You know, this is the fall season for age group. This is the beginning, you know, of a 12-month process. Right. And so we're not looking to win JOs in, in the fall season. We're looking to develop these kids all the way through the year, we're going to have checks and balances along the way with the various tournaments that we go to. And, you know, we're going to do our best and compete at JOs. 
if, if that's our age group goal, but that's not the end all be all. And that's, that's really where it gets to be very tough because people will base the success and, and how the team did and how the program did based on the metal stand. Right. And, you know what we've had, we've had teams that meddled that were successful. And we've had teams that, that haven't meddled that were even more successful based on where they came from right. and, and based on right. what they did at the end of the season. So it's setting those expectations. So with those 11 year olds and those 13 year olds talking to the parents of like, Hey, you know, just support your kid. It's, it's a frustrating process right now. I'm coaching 14 and under girls and I coached the 12 and under girls last year. And we're now going from 12 and under girl rules to now full-blown water polo rules. Now right. what they do at 14s is, is basically the rules, you know, that they'll have for the rest of their life. What's also the, the size of the ball. The right. size four ball at 1400 girls, it's going to be the same size they use for the rest of their life. So now that transition is difficult right. from 12s to 14s and the rules are difficult. They're not, they're not tough rules, but what you're able to do, you know, that's a massive transition. And so if you come out and watch and, and you watch what we're doing, you know, our man up person up situations, you know, we, we do the best we can, but that's not a focus. Right now. Like that's, right. that's going to come, you know, down the line. I'm not concerned about that, you right. know? And so, but getting out ahead of that and talking to the parents from a coaching standpoint, from a development standpoint, from a program standpoint, um, you know, I don't think you can communicate that enough. I think it's important for people to understand your philosophy. And with that, we're in an area where it's highly competitive. It's great. There's a lot of options. Um, you know, sometimes it's difficult, but for the most part, it's, it, it allows and it affords the players and the parents to seek out the program that best suits their, their right. player. Well, and, and I love that you have uh, on your website, the parent etiquette tab, right? That has all of the expectations of this is what parents can do. And this is what parents will not do right within your, I think that's, I think based on some of the conversation we had before air there that uh, I think is pretty important in terms of those expectations. Yeah. And it's just support your kid. I yeah. mean, it's, you know, yeah. the, the, I've never seen it go, go very well when a parent yells at a ref, never really, <laughs> never, never, never ends well for him. Yeah. And, yeah. and, uh, and look, I'm a parent too. So I get it. You get excited for your kids and all that stuff. And, and, um, you know, but uh, that's part of the process too, is educating the parents. Like, look, cheer for your kid. It's awesome. It's a physical game. Sometimes things happen and, and, but let the coaches take care of it. Let the coach talk to the player. Let the coach talk to the other coach. Let the coach address the ref. Right. You're, you're there to support the kids, you know, and, and be there. And, and, um, you know, they're, they're, tough games and, and there are great games. And so you're yep. going to have everything in between. And so, yeah, the parent etiquette, I mean, it's important because, you know, it's common sense, right? I mean, all that stuff up there, you're like, Oh yeah, well that makes sense. Why would I ever do that? Well, it's up there because there's been a situation that that addresses. Sure. For sure. So, going, going back to your age group um, breakdown, you know, obviously the rules change between tw um, 12s and 14s, but do you have a focal point Obviously, splash ball in introductory and fun, um, you know, 10s, you have a focal point, 12s, 14s, because hopefully some of these viewers are going to be looking at expanding clubs, expanding mm -hmm. clubs, right? Somewhere, uh, excuse me, I can, another state that might not have a dominant club team at the moment, but they might, get, might listen to you like, oh, let's combine with our rivals and actually make 
a competitive team together and right. benefit people in the off season. So what are some starting points you have for each of those age groups? Yeah, I just on, on a real side note, um, I was at a coaching conference one time and Radko Rudick was there and it was at Stanford. And I asked the panel of, uh, of Olympic athletes and it was like Brenda and, and uh, I think Adam Wright was up there. And I asked a question about what they did for training in the off season. And Ratko was in the what, second. What is off season? Oh my gosh. Like <laughs> he, he started rustling in his seat and he <laughs> looked over. I forget who the assistant was. I don't know if it was Lason or who it, it was, was, but yeah, it, it was Danny. Lason. Yeah. I think he looked over and Dan kind of started to explain something to him. And, and he turned around, we're in a, in a, you know, a conference room there at Stanford. He turns around and he looks right at me. He goes, I do not understand this question. What is off season? And, and everybody's looking at him. like, and and one of the panelists, I don't know if it was Brenda or Adam, just like jumped up and was basically like, you know, after the high school season, because Rack was like, there is no off season. I don't understand. <laughs> You're lucky to ask him about tapering. Right, exactly. <laughs> tapering. Yeah. What do they stop me? There is no yeah. tapering. This tapering. is for the swimmers. We are the water polo players. Right. <laughs> tapering. Oh, we train, you know, we train double days through the Olympics. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we'd have a game and go back and swim. And then I mean, it was just, this is your progress the entire time through and going back to Radko's and you mentioned the same thing about results, you know, how you finish an improvement. He never once cared about quote unquote results. Just always focus on the progress, win or lose. What did you improve on in that game training? Yep. You get, what did you improve on that training? Yeah, that makes total sense. But going back to your question, do you have focal points of the different age groups? That yeah, we definitely do. Like we've been running some free intro clinics. I think that, and if you're starting a club, I think it's really important to offer something free to the community, get the excitement going. Um, you know, whether it's a couple of them or you do a one-off, try to try to partner with the local community pools. We have a lot of, of uh, summer swim teams in our area that we work with and, you know, try to get the information out there, but get the kids excited about it because it's new. You know, we get them at nine or 10 years old. They've already been playing these other sports. We talk about this a lot locally and, and on the national level. Like, I don't look at my competitors here locally as my my. <laughs> competition they're they're the clubs they're they're choices for people in the area like our biggest rivals are lacrosse and mm -hmm. soccer like we have a massive uh program here in our area that dominates uh they do really well nationally and little league baseball and all that those are our rivals and you know with our sport we always have a tough time like being organized and, you know, the pools and getting out ahead of the stuff where a lot of these other sports, they don't, they have, they have intraleague type stuff. So when you play little league baseball, the schedule is set two months ahead of time. Like how right. great is that? And water polo, it changes, you know, day of, yeah. uh, it's just wild. So, you know, with that, it, it's, you know, it's frustrating because we're, we try to get out ahead of it as much as we can with 680 and be as organized as we can, but that's who we're fighting against. We're fighting against all these other sports that, you know, are able to set that up and are organized. And so when they come to us, if our practices aren't organized or the games and all that stuff, it, you start to lose them a little bit. But in terms of, you know, our focal points at the younger ages with the intro clinics, you know, those are free, like get them in there, throw the ball around, get them excited. Hopefully when they leave and they say water polo, they've got a big smile on their face. That's the yeah. key uh, at the 10 and under level. 
level. It's starting to introduce them to a little bit more skill-based stuff. We'll get them into some competitions and, you know, hopefully they have fun with that. You know, that the, the main thing to focus on is that it's not, again, the results. Like we, we got to be careful about, you know, like, oh, we won JOs at 10s. It's like, well, that's great. I hope you had a good time. Like the bottom line is, did you have fun? And so keep them coming back. And then once they get to the 12s, that's really where we start focusing more on the water polo skill set, but a balance of, hey, you still have to have fun. We want them coming back. My biggest fear and has always been my biggest fear in, in running a youth program is that we turn a kid off at 11, 12, 13 years old, 14 years old before they hit that high school level. Right. And our job as, as youth coaches is to make sure that they're having a great time with the sport and you know that they're they're learning some skills but ultimately you want them coming back and keep them coming back and find the love and increase the passion for it and then at each age level you start adding on to that skill set whether it's watching film or watching internationals or watching the collegiate games and you know you start adding a little bit more tactics as they get older but you know on the younger level basically you want that repeat customer you know keep them coming back and you know we're not we're not the end all be all program and uh you know we're not perfect we try to do the right things we try to do it for the right reasons and you know just like a game sometimes stuff gets poorly executed and we have to come back we've taken a look at our ourselves year over year season after season try to figure out what we can do better this has definitely been a work in progress since 06 and um you know we're still not there but we're we're getting better um so the focal point then at 12s yeah it starts to get more fundamentally sound with their movements and the balance and why they're doing stuff and keeping it within the scope of the 12 and under rules. And then at 14s, you start adding to it and you start getting into, you know, more of the, the older water polo with, with the, you know, you're able to zone a little bit more, you get into the person up situations. And then in the high school level, hopefully they have that base. And now you're getting a little bit more into tactics and, and working things through. So it's a definite progression and um, you know, it's, but the bottom line is you want them coming back. Yeah. And so that's really critical. And that's a, that's a tough line um, because you want to teach them the skills and some of the stuff, you know, is, is relatively um, I'm not saying boring, but you know, if you're not shooting or you're not, you, you don't have the ball in your hand. I, I thought that was interesting. We took a trip over to Montenegro and I watched an age group program do movements for an hour and they didn't touch the ball until like the last 15 minutes. Hmm. And I thought that was really interesting and, and something that I believe wholly in that if you can't move without the ball, you can't move with the ball. It's really, really hard. And so, you know, that, that type of thing, it's a, it's a balance. And, you know, I think it's also finding those, those people that work well at that age level. Um, I've helped out at the 10 and under age level, but I'll be, I'll be totally outright. You know, I, I am not a 10 and under coach and I, there's you know, a special place for those people. Oh man. Sure. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is, uh, you know, it is definitely a, a, a unique position and, and, you know, you have to be fun and you have to be able to balance and, you know, be able to handle the energy and, um, you know, and that's the, that's the beautiful thing of coaching is like the balance. 
right? Like I'm a big fundamental guy. I teach the movements and I really want to do things correctly. And, you know, probably to a fault, to a certain extent, I'm not a scrimmage guy. And so I think scrimmaging is an earned right. I learned that back in the day when I, when I played football, you know, if you can't do the drills, then we're not going to let you play the game. Right. And so, but it's a balance because you don't want to turn the kids off and they come from these other sports where they immediately start off with a ball, baseball, they have a ball, basketball, they have a ball, soccer, they have a ball, you know, football, they have a ball. And in water polo, if you pull that ball away, they're like, Hey, when do I get to, when do I get to shoot? When do I get to touch that ball? And it's like, well, not for the last five minutes. And they're like, Oh my gosh, I don't know (laughs) if I can take this, you know? Right. So yeah, it's, um, it's a balance of being able to work on the skills and, and kind of, you know, go the Mr. Miyagi approach and, and really teach them the drills without them really knowing that they're learning them uh, right. to a certain extent, especially at the younger ages. Just reiterating your, your stats of, you know, being able to move with the ball and without the ball. Players don't have the ball the majority of the time. You have to think there's one ball with seven players in the field. Right. Yeah. And that's the, uh, the other part of it, too that we talk at length is that, you know, water polo is not a linear sport. You're not going back and forth in a straight line. It's not swimming, you know? And so I think where people really miss out is not working on the 360 degree ranges, you know, whether, whether it's in the horizontal or in the vertical and also the transitioning from horizontal to vertical back to horizontal to vertical to a lunge, all that stuff. That's really where, you need to be creative with, with the younger kids and get them jumping and, and moving them in a way that, you know, is fun and you can make it fun um, doing somersaults and all that stuff, figuring it out. But I think where people lose out is they just swim back and forth or they'll dribble back and forth. And it's very rare that the defender is coming straight at you. Right. They're usually coming, you know, at a funky angle. And so learning to move away at those angles and, and the, the, the really important part is being able to teach the kids so they can see it. So, you know, with working with my 14 under girls, like I, we see the game, we see the numbers, we see, you know, the, the various movements. When we look at a six on five, you know, w- we can see the one, six, two pass. And you say that to a, to a, a kid that's moving up from 12s to 14s. And they're like, one, six, two, like, what is that? Like, you got to slow it down. So I try to get the kids to really think about it when they're, when we're talking about a drill and we're working on a specific movement, why we're doing that movement and where they are in relation to the cage. Because, you know, a lot of times we don't have the cages in. And so if I'm saying you have to do a release from five and we have a ball side driver coming from four, the the first thing I, I ask them is like, okay, where are you right now? Where's the cage? And they go, okay, the cage is over there. And I'm like, okay, you're at five. So that's the right wing. Where, where should your legs be right now? And they're like, oh yeah. And they'll turn to that (laughs) side. It's like just getting them to visualize visualize that and think about that, like slow it way down. And if they can understand that and they can get that base premise, then you can speed things up. But I think that's really important of trying to break it down, you know, and, and, the the my buddy Clark Weatherspoon said it you know he he said a term the other day that I was like wow I just got smarter I didn't even know I was doing that but it was differentiated instruction and so you know 
athletes and students, they learn through different methods, whether it's visual audio, you know, hand, hand, you know, examples, teaching all that stuff. And so, you know, it's really important to figure out with the particular players, what really works with them. Yeah. And so we try to give them the how and the why, and then, you know, People always ask, you know, the, the parents and the players, like, how do I get better? How do I get more playing time? It's like, just think about what we do in practice, you know, and if you have a pool, just go practice that stuff. What we yeah. do in practice translates directly to the game. Yeah. So, you know, that that's that's the important part of, you know, trying to teach the kids why and how they're doing it. And then kids are going to mature at different rates. And that's something that the players and parents have to understand what they are at 11 is not necessarily what they're going to be at 18. And, you know, it's, there's so many examples of it where right. you have a superstar 12 year old kid that all of a sudden at 18, you're like, what happened to that kid? And it was like, well, you know, he was six feet, 170 pounds as a 12 year old. Right. You know, and so he, they gave him the ball in front of the cage and he turned around and shot. And so, but he never learned the skill set. And then when he was 18, he's six feet, 170 pounds. And he doesn't know how to actually move and, and use his body and, and have proper technique because he was able to mask it for so many years. Yeah. And so, you know, it's no matter what they are at 12, you know, you, you still have to teach the proper techniques and all that because you don't know what they're going to be at 18 or 22. Yeah. Well, water, water polo is a very uh, family centric sport, right? I know you have kids that have played our, my kids play my uh, guess Janai's kids eventually might play if they don't no, they, my, since three, they've been doing splash ball, the beach polo. There you go. There you go. <laughs> So, I mean, t- talk a little bit about that culture of family in 680, right? You've got, uh, you know, you've got a great, your, your families, I've seen your families travel a lot, uh, interacted with them. They've all been in, a, they've been in a great place. So it seems like you build that as a culture, that family culture within your club. Is there anything specific that you do that would be a great example to other kind of developing clubs in terms of creating that support for the club? And I guess the follow-up was that, is that recognized in your neighborhoods, right? Do they say, oh man, I want to be a part of that because the, of the dynamic that's happening there? Yeah, I think over the years, uh, we've built up a reputation and a tradition within our community. So when you say you play for 680, they know what you're talking about. Right. And, um, you know, the brand recognition in terms of, you know, we'll, we'll you know, the apparel, we, we love our best marketing is our kids, our players. Yeah. They're the best. Like when, when they wear those shirts to school or they wear their baseball hats or whatever it might be, those are, those are the best uh, marketers that you could ever have. And when they talk about water polo, they're our ambassadors, not only about the sport, but about our program, you know, and if somebody wants to try it out, hopefully they're recommending 680, you know, and that's, that's important. Yeah. We're a family-based program. Um, You know, it's really being part of the community is really important to us. And, you know, over the years, whether we've had, you know, various events and stuff, we've been talking about having a big, you know, once the pandemic's done and we're able to like have everybody together, having a fair, having basically a 680 carnival where, you know, we can, 
bring in food trucks and, you know, have, we could run the, the six, eight combine and have the kids right. have a, have a band. And, you know, I'm sure we can make a boatload of money by, you know, putting me in a dunk tank and letting people, <laughs> you know, throw the ball, especially my players that, that have played for me, but, you know, trying to build that up as you'll, much you'll as You'll have possible. alumni coming back. Yeah. yeah, right? <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure yeah. my, my kids will run up and just push the button. My own kids. <laughs> so yeah, it's, uh, it's important. And when we travel, you know, our parents get together and we try to have, you know, player meetings, you know, together and support each other and move around from one game to the next. We've tried to do that over the years and support each other and, um, you know, and try to build up that feel like 680 for us. When I when I talk to my parents at my parent meeting is like, I really want the kids and the parents to feel proud that they play for 680. That that ultimately is is one of my biggest goals. Right. You know, the X's and O's and all that stuff. That's really important. But, you know, this is a sport. This is a means of of figuring out life lessons, life experiences, good, bad, how to, how to handle positive, negative adversity. And you want that community around you. And that's what we're here. We, we hope the players feel supported by the coaches. We hope the parents feel supported by the coaches. We want them to utilize us as a resource, whether it's through age group, whether it's, you know, into high school, whether it's high school to college, trying to help those players get where they want to go. And so, um, you know, having having program wide stuff together is really important. We try to have dinners and, and that type of stuff. It gets a little hard once you get to a certain size. Right. You know, it was a lot easier when we were smaller, um, you know, to, to easily go, OK, we're going to go have pizza at this place and everybody gets together. So we have to be a little bit more uh, organized when it comes to that. But yeah, it's important to us. It's important that we support each other. And we've got a lot of siblings that really helps. And it was really important when we started 680 that we had both a girls program and a, and a boys program because we wanted to make it family based. We didn't want the families right. to have to choose like, OK, my kid, my boy needs to play here and my girl needs to play there. And so uh, with that, though, you double up on the numbers, you double up on the number of facilities you need, double up on the number of coaches you need. And so that's difficult. But for us, we felt like we want the family to be at 680 and, and feel good about having their kids at 680. And, yeah. you know, when they walk on the deck, they, that they feel good about representing our program, representing our community, Northern California water polo. You know, that was early on. That was a big hurdle that we had to get over. When we first started 680, uh, Northern California had some, some, there was some good clubs, but, you know, one or two that would compete nationally. And we had to get over that hump of competing against the Southern California teams. Yeah. And that was a big thing because, you know, our players are like, wow, you know, they play for that and they play for this. And it's like, yeah, but, you know, they wear a Speedo and they wear a water polo cap and they're actually doing a ball side drive like what we're teaching you. And once they were able to get over that hump, then uh, it really helped. And is so there, is there some let's talk about that. Is there something specific that you did for again, like. Cause that's kind of where we feel like, you know, outside of California, like you've got to be able to take it to the next level to be able to play. How, how did you navigate that hump? Yes. Yeah. I mean, it, it's, I'm, I'm, 
I'm not relatively creative. I just look at where the success is and see what we can do to get there. And so the success was down in Southern California. And I knew my, my, I was coaching 1400 boys at that time. And I, I knew that for us to make that next level, we had to go down and train with those Southern California teams. Right. And thankfully, you know, some really nice clubs, United Rose Bowl, they, uh, they were open to it. And so we were able to do that. Our kids stayed with their families and, you know, at the, at the first night when you drop the kids off and you match them up with the families, it's like, you know, a boxing match. We would bring them up and we'd be like, okay, Janai is going to stay with Sean. And you guys would kind of stare each other down, like, you know, two boxers and, and they, you know, make them shake hands and then they right. go off. Right. And then the next morning they'd come back for the Saturday morning training and you couldn't tell who was on what club. Right. And so, and then at the end, you know, we'd do some sort of all-star teams, we'd mix and match and do that. And, um, and that was really important for us to get over that hump and and get over that allure that it was like, Hey, we can't compete because we're from Northern California. It's like, well, why not? Like we're, you know, we're athletic and, and you guys do well in these other sports. Why can't we? And, you know, it, then you have to look at it as a coach. Just like, wait a minute, is it me? You know, I yeah. have the athletes. What? And, and really, um, based on my background, I played one year of collegiate water polo at UC Davis. And so, you know, I'm not, I'm not the prototype of pedigree. And right. at one point when I was coaching high school, I, I had a parent ask, what, what is Mundy's pedigree? And they asked me point blank. And I said, right. well, my dad's from Germany and my mom's from Chicago. That's my pedigree. Right. So, yeah, you know, I, I, if you don't feel like your son is learning, then, okay, that's, you know, that's, that's what you think. And, and that's okay. But pedigree to me is like, okay, what, what, what is that person doing trying to help my kid develop? And so I looked at those coaches and I was, you know, that's something as a program, I think it's always very important to take a look around the pool deck and watch and watch at tournaments, the way that coach is interacting with the players, interacting with the ref, interacting with his parents. How do those players walk onto the deck? How do they interact with the team meetings? And I started watching that. And I, I started identifying those coaches that I thought were very good coaches. I liked the way they coached in the game. I liked the way they approached the refs. And then I started talking to those guys. Yeah. And Dan okay. Lason to go back to Lason again, he was one of them. And so uh, I started talking to these guys and I, I didn't know anybody. And so, and I probably introduced myself to Doug Peabody at least 10 times that first year. <laughs> and uh, finally, you know, we, I came up to him. He's like, if you introduce yourself to me one more time, I'm going to punch you. I'm like, all right, well, you know, I'm Monday. Okay. So, <laughs> I like you know, I, I think it, it, it was just, it's important to take a look at those around you and see, okay, well, who's successful in your eyes and what are they doing? And then be able to talk to them and, and share ideas. And that collaborative training was so important. Yeah. And we continue to try to do that. And, um, you know, with that too, we just had one recently uh, down at the EC Cup. We trained with Newport and our parents were on the deck and they're like, wow, this is amazing. And I said, yeah, this is amazing. And I said, this is what you signed up for. 
because if you do things the right way and you know your 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 teams play the game the right way and you're respectful to the referees and to the opposing players then you get these opportunities right when you're going nuts in the stands and other teams notice it notice that and they don't want to be around you you don't get those opportunities right right and so That's not only point. is it important right now to be able to have those collaboratives but we we set the stage back in 07 and 08 when we did those mutual trainings and that that affords us to be able to do it now right and so you know that's really important is that you're setting up not only now but the future players and so you know that's critical in terms of your program is is the evolution of it where do you want to get to and then back it up from there and i think really importantly is that you got to start at the younger age yeah you know if you're coaching high school and you think you're going to start a club program and you just want to focus on high school. It's too late. Yeah. If you really want to do a great job, get them going at the younger ages, build that foundation. And by the time they get to high school, you're going to be having the success that, that you've put into it. For sure. Do you use any of your older athletes, older just um, being high school athletes to help coach, officiate younger programs? Yeah. So we, we try to bring back as many of our older kids to the younger age groups. I think that's a big part of our program is that perpetuation and giving back. And so a lot of our high school players then are coaching at 12s and 10s and 14s. Uh, most of the time they jump in the water. Uh, it's very important for the younger kids to see the proper techniques and having the, young, the older kids work with them. And it also then uh, builds that relationship when you move to these tournaments. And so the younger players want to go see the older players play and vice versa. Like right. it's really important that's cool. to yeah. build up that Great mentorship. Point. And um, yeah, that's something that we've really strived to do over the years. And uh, you know, in the winter season, it's always what we've tried to do at 680 is build it up that there's always somebody better in front of you. And so no matter what your level is, if you're excelling at 12s, okay, let's go see how you do at 14s. If you have a collective group of 14s that are doing really well, well, let's bring in our 16s. And if they're doing well against the 16s, let's bring in the 18s. And so there's always somebody there that to keep you humble and right. uh, keep you aspiring to be better. And I think that's really important. And the perpetuation in terms of having the older kids come back, that's gold. If you yeah. can have that and that really helps tighten, you know, the youngers to the olders, um, you'll be, you'll have sustainability with your program. Yeah. Uh, what's uh, just out of curiosity, thinking about like the new clubs out there, clubs that want to develop, what's something today like that they could do to, um, to move towards this idea. I like that idea of sustainability, right? To improve mm -hmm. their club. What's something they could do right now today? Maybe what's something within a week and then like a six month goal, right? If they're, if they're looking to, you know, build a, a 12U or a 10U program, how do they start that? I think with the, the younger ones, you got to run something that's open to the community. Yeah. And, and um, you know, basically sponsor it and uh, run a free clinic. Everybody likes free. Yep. And get them introduced to it and bring in your older kids, uh, utilize your 14s, your 16s, your 18s to run it, have them in the water, whether it's a splash ball based program or, you know, just like a, let's let's go splash around for an hour and throw the yeah. ball. That's key, like getting in at that younger age, working with your 
your communities, talking to the community pools and understanding your area and, um, you know, real, really trying to educate people on what water polo is. Right. And so if depending on your area, if it's relatively new, it's it's almost more important that the parents understand what water polo is and, and what it's all about. Your kids, you know, if you're throwing around the ball and they're having a good time, they're going to be happy about it, but you really need the support of the parents to be like, okay, yeah, I'm going to sign them up for this six week program because Sean knows what's going on. He's got a plan. This is what they've been doing. You know, there's a, there's a progressive development uh, process that, you know, my, my daughter or my son, I can see them starting this intro program and then they move to the, the house league and then they move to our travel team. And, you know, again, we're, we're fighting against all these other sports that do this and have been doing this for a long time. And, and, most of the areas, water polo is relatively new. Right. And yep. so you're, you've got to do a, a really good job at educating the community. You know, obviously coming off an Olympic year is huge. That's important to utilize that. I think there's a tremendous amount of resources out there uh, with the Olympians, national team players, collegiate players, bring them in, tout this, you know, utilize that as much as possible. And, you know, really bring in the resources to try to educate and, you know, whether it's internally or externally, like yeah. utilize, like, don't be bashful. That's the thing, you know, I, we've heard over the podcast and all that stuff. There are some people in life and, and coaches that, you know, they are very successful and they feel like it's a proprietary deal and that they want to hold the cards close to them. And, and that's fine. Like that's, you know, that's, that's their prerogative, right? I'm not one of them. We're, we're really open um, with those collaborative trainings. Yeah. When you're running stuff, your, your competitors that you're going to be playing in a tournament against, they're right there. So, you know, when you're, when you're training together, it's like, well, I mean, water polo, it's not really a hard sport. Like people try to make it complicated or maybe they don't, but it's, it's not too complicated. And, I've always felt when I've done these collaborative trainings, whether there was Southern California teams or Northern California teams, it's like, look, on the given day, my kids need to execute. They need to be prepared and we need to execute. Right. And if you know, and you've trained against us, you know what we have. Hey, even better. That's going to make us even better because right. I know that Janai knows that we run this or, or, <laughs> you know, like, what do we do? Well, we yeah. press. Well, how okay. do you, but how do you execute those fundamentals? <laughs> more consistently than the other team right um to put you on the spot the same way that rose bowl and united you guys spent a few other teams you know open up their doors and their homes and their pools to, for common training to help your club as a developing club improve would you do the same for any non-california teams looking to help you know give more opportunities for their athletes and even coaches oh yeah absolutely i mean that's the the that's the key to growing our sport and, you know, opening it up in different areas is, is, you know, allowing those collaboratives and listen, I, I, I would be, you know, a hypocrite if I said no, because that really helped 680. It helped me personally. It helped me meet a lot of great people. Um, it also exposed me to, to people like at tournaments and, and watching stuff that I don't want to be like, I think that's <laughs> super important too, that, you know, it, it's, 
it's an educational process and that there are a lot of people and coaches out there that aren't good for the sport. And that, that should be definitely noted of what people are doing and, and be like, I'm not going to do that. Like, I don't like that style. I don't want to be that. And so, yeah, we're always open to it. I think it's important to be open to it. Uh, the water polo is one thing it's, X's and O's, you train for three days, you know, the kids hopefully get better, but it's more about building those relationships and, um, you know, building up the trust with that other program and, you know, with the parents get excited about it. it it's a collaborative, not just from a water polo standpoint, but a communal standpoint in regards to just life and humans and, and, you know, being open to that, to help people. So well, Sean, Sean or some other teams from Utah might pick, um, hit you up on that. We're already, we're already talking about it, Janai. Don't worry. We're already talking about it. Yeah, <laughs> we'd, we'd love to see some teams from Michigan come out with you guys. Yeah, that'd be great. We're, we're happy. We're happy to support people and, um, you know, and, and it's, they got to be the right, right program. Right. We've, we've done some stuff where I'm like, that's never happening again. We're, we're <laughs> not doing it with that program for skill levels or for attitudes. I'm assuming it's, attitudes. It's never skill level. Never. Because I mean, with our program too, um, you can we have so many different Yep. Yep. And we've had teams come out before JOs from the Midwest and, uh, you know, they talk about their team. And so I start them off with a particular level that I think is probably comparable. And then we move up from there. Like if they dust somebody in a, in a scrimmage, like, okay, let's bring in this group then, but it's never based on, um, skill level ever. So, but you can tell like really quickly the way a coach handles a situation with a player, um, you know, the way the parents act. And so, yeah, no, we've, we've definitely would say no to some clubs out there, but not based on skill. So we're running out of time here a little bit, but you guys traveled a ton during the pandemic, came to Utah multiple times. What, any take-home messages from all that travel? Like is there anything that you learned about your team or your club or about uh, making those journeys to and from St. George into Salt Lake? Yeah, it was, uh, I mean, the, the parents and the players were for it. We got into a, you know, the, at the beginning, it was like, well, what do we do? Can we travel, you know? And, <laughs> and so the... The, the, the parents wanted to travel and the players wanted to travel. And I was like, okay, well, how do we figure this out? And so the hard part too, was our coaches. Like it was yeah. difficult for our coaches to travel that much. And so I think I went out to Utah five times or so. I coached everything from 12 and under girls to high school boys. And, you know, it was great experience. I loved it all. And it was, it was fun being with the different age groups and all that, but I had the flexibility to be able to do that. Some of my coaches didn't. And so, but it was exhausting. I think in a six week span, I was in Utah four weekends. Yeah, it was, I was, I was, I was exhausted and I live here. <laughs> yeah. So it was, uh, you know, that the, the and travel is important. I think the playing the water polo tournament is one thing. I always find tremendous value and traveling a team and, you know, their ambassadors on so many different levels, whether it's your family, your program, your community, you know, water polo in general, uh, Northern California water polo. And so we like to travel in gear. And so that way the kids have to answer those questions when they're at the airport or they're on the, they're, they're on the airplane or they're at the rental car agency. Like, what is this? What is this 680? And so then they have to talk about what, yeah. what, 
Great lessons. The program is and talk about it. I mean, we've we've had it over the years where, you know, I'll be walking down with my 1400 boys and they're walking like four across the sidewalk and somebody's coming the other way. Yeah. And I'll yell and be like, hey, guys, how is that person going to get by? And they look and they're like, what are you talking about? I'm like, you got to move over. Like, you got <laughs> You got to give them the right away. Like, right. And you're wearing all your Here. 680 stuff. You match. Right. Yeah, so right. if you bump them off the curb, they're going to know 680. I mean, that's that's kind of like the old adage. I'm like, if you're going to do something stupid, take off your shirt. Yeah. Like, right. Make sure you're not wearing any 680 gear <laughs> when you do it. So, but that's part of the take travel. Take off your shirt and just show your 680 speedo. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> so the, the travel was a lot. I think it was great. I mean, it was so nice for the kids to get out and get back to some normalcy and, and be able to play. And the facilities were amazing. It was, you know, awesome to be able to, to come out and, and play at that time of year. And we had a great time. The competition was excellent. Everybody was just happy to be in the water and uh, was excited about it. And so it, it really helped us. I mean, being able to have those opportunities was great, Sean, what you guys did and, and um, you know, what they did at Dixie State. Yeah. I, you know, I, I might as well be an alumni of Dixie State now. I, yeah. I had no idea what you, that you was. You got a before. lot of continuing education credits. Yeah. <laughs> I had no idea where that was and what that was before the pandemic. And well, so that was blessing. You're going to have to come back this winter. We've already got uh, we've already got White Mountains here in Salt Lake City. So we've got 30 inches of snow over the last couple of weeks, and the storms are continuing to line up. So you got to come out for some powder days. And we'll, well, that's what uh, that's what I was saying. You got to get the you got to get Elta and Snowbird to sponsor totally. you. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm, I'll, I have some connections. I'll work on that for you. <laughs> <laughs> we'll be there. <laughs> That'll be good. So my my last question, and Janai might have some, but what's what's going great in your mind for the sport of water polo in general? Like, what is the what are some of the best things that are happening in the sport right now from your perspective? It seems like there's a lot of kids playing. I think that's great. I think it's grown. I'm not sure what the exact numbers are. So, but it's great to see these other areas besides California really growing. I think that's important for the sport. Um, You know, it's, it's going to take, you know, a a collective uh, growth to put us, you know, on the international level and, and uh, you know, finding those athletes that don't have those opportunities right now. I think that's critical. Uh, for the longest time, we had such a resource pool that we were drawing from or that, um, you know, it was limited. So seeing that is great. I mean, it's, it's fun to see all these teams from outside of California competing. I think that's good. Um, you know, it, it's, Competition is good, um, you know, from from a, uh, a drawback, I would say, like, you know, I think there needs to be more education. I think the yeah. it's really important that we get our coaches Coach developed. Yeah, yeah, I think that's so critical. And you, you look at, you know, not only the other sports, you look at international, you, you look at, you know, the various countries that are competing on the international on a consistent high level that I feel like those coaches are professional coaches yeah. and, you know, their development coaches are professional coaches that they're trained on how to be a coach. And, you know, we're doing the best that we can from a club standpoint and trying to educate our coaches on what we're looking for and putting together our own program and platform. And that's really important. We need more resources. We, we need more support. We need a, a better understanding of what we're trying to do from the 10 and under level 
to the international level. Yep. Um, there's no reason why we can't compete on the highest level. I mean, we're United States of America. Like we, we're, we have tremendous athletes. We have tremendous resources. Yeah. I think we need to take a look at it from a standpoint of what we're doing and think more outside the box. What other resources from different sports can we pull in to, you know, help give our athletes the best opportunities. And, um, you know, it's, that's really important to me is I love watching international water polo. I think that's something that people can do a lot more is, is watch what's going on with, with the Len league and, and, you know, all sorts of different, the, the country leagues and all that. It's so important to be able to watch that water polo and see what those athletes are doing. Yeah. And trying to figure out, you know, the, the top bottom approach, like, what do we want to be doing at tens? We yeah. know what we want to be doing at tens. And I know what I want to be doing at 12s, 14s, 16s, and 18s. And if I'm feeding the pipeline, am I feeding the pipeline to the highest level with the proper fundamentals or do, you know, when, when my kids, when our 680 kids come into the pipeline, they're like, oh my gosh, like, what are these kids doing? Right. Like, they don't, they don't know how to do X. I don't know. I don't know what that looks like. I'm not sure what we're supposed to be doing from a club standpoint. If we're, you know, a good sized club and we're pushing kids into the development program, I would like to have a better understanding of what those kids should have when they go in so I can prepare my kids and, and, and fold that into the curriculum. That's not the end all be all curriculum, but I want to make sure that they're, they're properly prepared. They've done the drill, right? Yeah. So what is your guesstimate of percentage percentage wise of your athletes that go on to play in college division one, division two, division three, I could, um, you know, um, collegiate club teams, junior, junior college teams, just continue to to play. Even it's just masters on weekends. I would say, I would say like, um, probably 10 to 15%, I would say overall, you know, um, in any given year. So on all levels. And I think that's important too, is that kids and parents need to understand, like there there are those top schools and, and, you know, it, I, I love the, the parody that's going on. I think it's important for the sport, but you know, setting your sights on on one of the top schools just based on water polo, I, I think is is really inhibiting. And and you need to take a look at what you want out of water polo, out of your academics and all that. There's so many great opportunities out there. And I think people end up focusing solely on, oh, well, that's a top four school or that's a top 10 school rather than looking at at what's the best, you know, thing for Janai at that time and, and for Sean at that time. Balance, Plus, right? Yeah. Well, yeah. And, you know, the junior college route, like I think that's an underserved um, area that is a great opportunity for a lot of people. I mean, it's relatively free and there's, there's good water polo. There's great programs out there. There's some really good coaches go gain some maturity, you know, level up during that two-year program. And then when you're ready and you have a little bit more perspective, then figure out where you want to go after that. I think that, that, that is a, a um, opportunity that's missed a lot and that people are looking at like, Oh, I want to go to that school. 
And then they get to that school and let's say they don't play or something. And then they're done with water polo rather than really taking a look at a balanced perspective of saying, okay, you know, I want this in terms of academics. I want that in terms of water polo. And there's so many opportunities, whether it's playing club or D3, D2, D1, you just go play. If you love it, there's a spot for you and, you know, pick the right school first. That's super, super important. And also you got to take a look at the program. Like each program has its own culture and each head coach has its, has his, his or her own way of doing things. And that's super important because that's going to be your coach, your mentor and, and somebody you're going to be with for a lot of years. And, you know, if you're just picking the top four or top 10 number, you know, I think you're really doing yourself a disservice. And I, and I really, you know, caution the parents on, on moving towards that. Like they really need to have that balanced perspective and try to counsel their, their kids, the right direction. So the last decade and a half, you've done a phenomenal job of building that base of foundation of that pyramid, you know, getting the age group up to the high school, 10, 15% going on to college. Do you see yourselves opening up and creating a master's program to retain another um, portion of kids that just stop playing. So they come back in the summers. Maybe they don't play at a college, but they come back and compete with 680 and they play against O Club and Rip Ties yep. and other programs like that. Yeah, that's really important. I mean, our, our biggest Achilles heel is pools. And so I have a tough time justifying a master's program if I'm going to lob off my 10 and unders and 12 and unders. And so I would love to do that. I mean, we've got a lot of alumni coming back that have played at a high level and I would love to be part of the national league and, and be able to do that. I mean, I think there's, I would love to take 680 and take it international, you know, and go over there and play. And, and there's a lot of ideas in my head. I mean, that would be definitely a main goal is having a professional team. And, you know, what I would love to do is, is get our athletes the ability to go play in Europe on a consistent basis. Like that's to support them and, and, get that high level experience. And, you know, first we got to do it in the national league here, but then take it, take it globally. I think that would be fantastic. So yeah, definitely. That's, we might have to talk off record and with the NDA about some professional league stuff. Yeah. (laughs) Domestically. Yeah. I I would love that. We would definitely support it. And I mean, it, it is so important to give our, our kids, those opportunities. It's you watch the, the international stuff and you watch the, the club championships and the, and the land championships and all that. They're playing so much against such high level competition on a consistent basis. And then we, we try to do it every four years. It's just, I mean, the cards are stacked against us Yeah, and it's unfair. So, you know, it, it, it definitely, the system is broken. Um, in my eyes, like I, I want to see us excel at all levels, and it's amazing to watch on the on the age group level how well we do. We do incredibly well, and there's a lot of kids that are from different countries that want to come here and play at the age group level. They want to come and play at JOs. They want to be part of our programs here, and then you know we we have an incredible collegiate level, uh, but, but during that time that we end up losing out on the international level. And I think there, we definitely need to take a look at the system and, and I want to support the system and really try to get our players up to that level and be able to support their dreams. 
And it's very difficult. Like if you're faced with going to work for an investment bank or spending another four years grinding it out, you know, not making any money, possibly living with mom and dad, you know, doing a little coaching on the side, that's a hard ask where internationally, these guys are getting paid professionally. They're professional athletes. Right. And they live and breathe it. So... Awesome. Well, hey, I, I'm looking forward to coming to Danville next week to stream some games. Can't wait. Going to get down there and, and uh, San Ramon Valley and who and what was the yeah. other team? Monta Vista High School. Monta Vista. Yeah, that's the, been a long, so, long time rivalry forever. So we're going to we're going to come down and have Game On Live Studio stream some of those games for you. We've got some other games that we're working in the college arena there that next weekend. So pretty psyched to come and do that so my uh, my uh, my last question here what are we going to hear in the hype song what's your favorite hype song as a coach or as a Ooh, player for me personally yeah you personally. yeah it was lunatic fringe lunatic fringe All yeah right. by red rider it was that old vision quest movie <laughs> so i don't know if you remember that it was a wrestling yeah. movie oh so, yeah <laughs> that was that that was my main one very cool very cool janai you got anything else for monday I got a lot, but we're out of yeah. time, and I'd rather almost do a second episode. We'll do another one. We can keep going. I feel like we're. Yeah, just I really, I really want to focus in the future on some like specifics to help the. Yeah. I don't. I keep breaking down to non-California teams that are faced with geographic difficulties. Yeah. Of yeah. being able to travel, like you said, as great as it was to go to Utah, you're exhausted from traveling on the weekends. Well, there's teams that have to travel the entire year, the entire season, the entire time. So we'll get into more stuff later. Well, and with that too, like the, the competition is what breeds, you know, the, the raising of the boats. Like you, you, if you have one program in New Mexico, but they can't play anybody, right. You have to, you have to have consistent playing. That's like, you know, there's some pockets through the United States and it's gotten better where, you know, you'll have water polo in St. Louis because they have a few high schools there that play or, or water polo in Chicago, because you have a few high schools that play and that's what you need. You need a few programs that you can compete against on a consistent basis. And, you know, if you have one program in Arizona, it's great. And you can have this big club, but if you can't compete on a consistent basis locally, um, it's really hard. And it's really hard on the parents and, and the players, whether it's, you know, from, pure travel or the expense standpoint. Yeah. You know, it's really difficult. So, yeah. Good stuff. Well, again, we've had uh Monday on the, on the pod here with us. Thanks for being with us. Janai, thanks for calling in from Kauai. Your uh, backdrop is killing it for sure. <laughs> You're making us feel like it's crazy. Like I said, we've got a got, few mosquitoes here today. Oh, I feel so bad for you. Like, let's <laughs> yeah, <see>. Poor thing. <laughs> poor thing. Are you just going to go rinse those off in the ocean? So you go. Or river okay. or waterfall. Or waterfall or wherever you want to <laughs> go. So again, thank you, Matthew. And uh, game on. Yeah, thank you. And Sean, I just want to thank you for all your streaming and and what you were able to provide. That was a huge uh, plus during the pandemic. And we anytime we traveled, you know, we'd always send out the streaming link and and uh, and we we had parents watching, grandparents, uncles, aunts. And I think what you did from that standpoint really helped raise the level of water polo in terms of exposure. Thank you. And uh, you're commentating and you're always open to so many things. And I mean, you worked, you know, long hours to put that stuff on and was greatly appreciated, not only by us personally, but all our families, all their extended families. I think that was just 
awesome was, and a real bright spot for everybody. It was fantastic. And I hope that it's not just a pandemic thing. I hope right. it's going to be something we're going to continue to do. So uh, if anybody else wants streaming out there, just connect with me. We'll do it. So awesome. Thanks, All guys. Right. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah. All right. Bye bye. Take care. Game on. In our show notes is a link you can use to send us a voice message. If you have a question or comment, don't hesitate to send it and we will incorporate it into the podcast. Please subscribe, rate, give a five-star review and share the podcast. Find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram all by searching at GameOnLS. Check out our website, www.goals.co. That's www.gols.co. We are just trying to make a journey to be the voice for sport growth in the water polo wilderness. Always honor the game and keep your head on a pivot. Until next time, peace.